This is Draft Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock band Humphreys McGee. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreys, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreys, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jahimiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. This week we'll finish up this amazing run with the two nights at Harris Cherokee Center who apparently, according to several Uber drivers we had that weekend, just recently changed the venue name, which explains why I was having issues with finding it when doing some planning prior to the show. Also, this week will feature my chat with Rob Turner, co-host of the Inside Out podcast with Turner and Seth. I will link that show in the show notes. Rob has been such an amazing supporter of me and my show from the very beginning. So very, very grateful for him and very grateful to have him on the show. It was great to talk to him about these two shows that he was also in attendance for. And he was also at the Joel Benefit Show that happened on the 16th. I was not able to make it. I had to head back on my long trek back to Buffalo and back to the rest of the family. So since he was there, we will talk about that too. A lot to get to this week. These two shows were phenomenal, particularly Friday night in my opinion. I'm really looking forward to sharing all my highlights and everything that went down that weekend with you guys. Are you trying to find a place to get the word out about your shirts, pins, jewelry, interesting trinkets, band that's going on tour, or small business that's looking to connect with some like-minded folks? Dropped Among This Crowd pod would love to help, including ad time on the show, ticket giveaways, social media plugs, product reviews, and more, Dropped Among This Crowd can help you reach and be seen by tons of fellow umfreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow umf family. Email droppedamongthiscrowdpod at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more. Real quick announcement, the band has rescheduled their next upcoming run the first weekend of April. The April 2nd show in Kansas City at the Truman has been moved to November 12th. The April 3rd and 4th show in St. Louis at the Pageant has been moved to November 13th and 14th. And the April 5th show in South Bend, Indiana has been moved to November 15th. All tickets already purchased will be honored at these new dates. All right, so let's get into everything that happened in Asheville. First of all, this was our very first trip um, to Asheville. I was actually born and raised in North Carolina, but on the coast, uh, Camp Lejeune, Jacksonville area. My father was in the military, so I grew up on the other side of the state. So it was so cool to experience this completely different part of North Carolina. Just absolutely beautiful. If you've never been, I highly recommend that you should go and visit. We're already talking about visiting again and experiencing more of the city and checking out the 
endless, awesome small businesses in the, particularly in the one part of the city that we were in and where we went to go get dinner on Saturday that was not very far from the venue. It was just so, so cool to see all of those shops. I went to yoga with a friend and ABT keyboard player Justin Powell Saturday morning, which was just absolutely amazing and exactly what I needed after night one and the caverns. And honestly, I'm seriously thinking about finding yoga when we travel for multi-night runs from now on. I usually hit the hotel gym, but something about that yoga was just so refreshing and a perfect way to get ready for the final night of our weekend. Justin was also kind enough to sit down with me later on the same day for an interview. Very excited to bring that to you guys. Next week, we talk about all sorts of stuff, parenthood, Alibaba Sahini, seeing Umphreys at Bonnaroo in 2004, what it was like when he sat in with Umphreys, and just a ton of other stuff. So make sure you tune in next week for that. Asheville is just a really, really, really cool city. Looking forward to returning. It was interesting coming into the venue on Friday night, walking into an arena when we're so used to seeing Umphreys in a club or a theater setting, and then especially... After the night before, we had just seen them in the caverns, and it was only like a hundred or a thousand people in that cave. So, my first reaction when we walked into the arena was just like, wow. And it wasn't even full yet. We came in during Billy's set. Just seeing them in a place like that felt a little weird at first. Empire Strikes Brass actually opened both nights before Billy Strings. We did not catch them either night. Like I said, we had Brendan with us, so. If you have kids, you understand things take a little bit longer when you got little folk in tow. Um, But like I said, we did make it during Billy's set, and I was so happy when he started playing They Love Each Other by The Grateful Dead. One of my favorite Dead tunes, and his version was just so beautiful and, of course, just perfect for uh, the Valentine's, um, you know, the Valentine's vibe to it. So the show in Asheville, night one, February 14th, Valentine's Day at Harris Cherokee Center, which I mentioned earlier had very recent to the show changed its name. You'll find it listed on All Things Umphreys under its old name, exploreashville.com arena, if you're looking for these shows. The band has played at this venue a total of nine times, including these two shows and the VIP show played this weekend. Interesting, every show has been played in the month of February. First time back in 2016 on February 19th. They've always played two nights at this venue and returned this year after skipping this venue on their stops last year. So the show on the 14th would start with walkout tune, Goonville, shifting it right into drive with Crucial Taunt, getting into the Valentine's love vibe with Mad Love next, and seriously a perfect choice because how can this song not just make you feel all the good vibes? Every single time I hear it, just grinning from ear to ear when it's over. I mean, seriously. Booth Love next. And I knew we'd get one of these at one point of the weekend, or at least this evening. Sinking in slightly before six and a half. Continuing on and opening a few minutes later, slightly before nine minutes. Joel beginning to steer us in a more dance party direction. 
not staying inside that space for a very long time, beginning to bring itself out about 12 minutes. And you can hear underneath Stasic beginning to lay the pathway for us to march right back into Booth Love, eerily moving out and finding its way through the fog by confidently stomping right into Andy's last beer. The first highlight I felt from this evening coming out next, Hurt Birdbath. Honestly, this massive monster that begins to build its foundation really early, slightly after three minutes. Stasic keeping this almost eerie feeling underneath it as it begins to furiously build faster, dabbling back into Hurt Birdbath a little bit later, not for long though, slinking its way out of that skin slightly before seven minutes and crawling its way out into the unknown, slipping into that Western jam that I mentioned way back in 2019. We saw it in It Doesn't Matter from February 2nd at the State Theater in Portland, Maine for the very first time. I will link that It Doesn't Matter and also I'll link the podcast episode in the show notes where I first brought that up. It certainly popped up all over in 2019 in interesting and varying ways, and I've brought it up a couple of times. Um, I have a friend, Leah, and if you're listening, hey, Leah, love you, girl, Um, who she said she'd been hearing it, too. So it always makes me feel good when other people are hearing these little things that keep popping up. I don't feel uh, quite so crazy. I would not be surprised if we heard this in the upcoming movie, The Canyonlands, that Brennan and Jake wrote the score for. It definitely has that feel that it would fit right in there. In this tune, we'll hear it slip in around 11 minutes-ish, if you're looking for it specifically. Not staying there really long, um, but definitely check that part out there. It's, it's been interesting to see it continue to pop up. Starting its dance back into her birdbath about a minute later and fully coming back in. That one is just really a lot of fun. I put it on my 2020 list to come back to and... I've done exactly that a couple of times already. That one for sure deserves some of your time, so definitely give it a listen if you haven't. Closing the first set with In the Kitchen, going out to Cordell and Tammy. It was their 100th show, and I saw some pictures. They were wearing the cutest umph love shirts that were matching, you know, if you're standing next to the person, it'll say like umph love across, you know, from side to side. It, it was just really cute. And if you've heard of the band Fox, which if you're deep-rooted in this community, then I'm sure that you have. Uh, well, Cordell is their manager. I've not had the pleasure of meeting either one of them, but I hope to soon. Anyway, back to this kitchen, wandering off slightly after four minutes. Stasic leading us along, dancing on and slipping into a fun little honky-tonk jam as we... Here, starting to build about eight minutes, fully getting into it a minute later, really opening up and allowing itself to just spread way open, but coming back down to earth a little while later to cool its heels and float back into In the Kitchen to close out the first set, like I mentioned. Set two. Set two of night one in Asheville was just straight fire, I felt, from start to finish, and Honestly, I think this would be the set of the weekend. I mean, really, if you had to pick one set of the weekend personally for me, night one, set two. Starting with an absolutely nasty smell the mint. 
this smell of the mitten is just so nasty. Really, getting into it about three and a half after the Jetsons theme tees noted on all things Umphreys. Really sinking in courtesy of Stasek, making things real mucky less than a minute later. Opening up and becoming very metallic sounding as it dances open even further. Twinkling back down to earth, having almost like a futuristic like Indian music feel to it at one point as it begins to aggressively build underneath it, embracing its truth about nine minutes-ish, flowering wide and resonating out, stumbling back into Mitten, which I imagine would be the soundtrack if you're trying not to scrape your chin on the sidewalk or something, that just that part of In the Mitten just kind of, it, it just, uh, kind of envisioned to me what it would be like when you're like trip walking, (laughs) you know, like you're kind of like acting like you're not tripping. That just, when I was listening to that, that's kind of what I envisioned somebody sort of like stumbling along. It gets its legs and full of power running back into Mitten. Seriously, a killer way to start this set. For sure, put this one on my 2020 list. And if you haven't listened to this yet, I really really, really think you should. I really think you should. It's probably like, besides the Billy sit-in that comes in later in set two, smell the mitten to open the, the second set is probably one of my favorite parts of the weekend, for sure. All in time, another one I would put on my 2020 list, going off on its own about two and a half, and I do hear a tinge of that Western Jam I mentioned a little bit ago in this episode about a minute later, beginning to grow this massive monster that once makes itself to land, just trudges along with this nastiness to it, falling away a bit, but Stasic stacking these blocks to keep laying the path, finding its balls again, and continuing on with this power, stumbling into its haphazardness before finding its footing starting to calm itself down a little and getting a little sexiness to it before sauntering out and leaving all in time in the rearview mirror for a little bit, keeping it unfinished for now and deciding to head into a full band wait around, which I've mentioned many times on the show. I am so here for it when they play that song. It's just so, so good. I love what the full band version of that song, like what it offers that. Next, what we were all waiting for to unfold was about to happen. Billy Strings coming out for a sit-in. First, Billy and the band would play Great American. Honestly, there were a few moments listening back to this, the few couple hundred times that I have, um, that Billy has a little bit of a tinge of Jerry in his tone um, in this jam. I would love for you guys to hear it, listen to it, and message me and tell me what you think. It's it's not the whole time that he's playing, um, but there are a couple of, of parts inside of that jam where you're just like, hmm, sounds a little like Jerry. I mean, there's nothing that I can say about this sit-in or the song that's coming up next for us with Billy other than You really should listen to both if you haven't. I did put them both on my 2020 list to make sure I continue to come back to them. I mean, for obvious reasons. But Phil's that comes next 
could very well deserve a place on Hall of Fame. Before heading off on that Phil's adventure, Bayless mentions that he was introduced to Billy by Jeff Austin and that this song was for him. And when he said that, in even bringing it up right now, it just, it just gave me goosebumps. It just thinking about Jeff not being there anymore and now, you know, Billy being there and them knowing each other. And it, it just gave me all these goosebumps and it was just like, damn, dude, like, wow. This one heading out about four minutes, Brendan, Jake, and Billy just start making these guitars whine for a little bit. And I was just like, oh my God, all about all of that for sure. And honestly, there was one point during this where you could feel this energy. I don't know what it was. Around six and a half, but really when it opens up around seven minutes, there's this feeling. And I felt it at the show. And so I just kind of like, you know, tucked it away and was like, I will listen, you know, when I listen back to this again later, see if that feeling comes back. I mean, because you have these feelings in the moment at the show, of course. So when I listened back to this Phil's, again, the few hundred times that I have since it happened, I still had that feeling. And I would love for you guys to listen to it and see if you if you notice it too. It just felt like at that moment, they were just playing the fuck out of it for Jeff's life and everything that had happened during it and, and the way that he passed away and just all of it. There was just this energy with that jam. It was just out of this world. And after, I was just like sitting there like, oh my God. And we had, like I said, we had Brendan with us and he was actually sleeping during the second set and he was kind of like laid over both of us. So I had a perfect sight line. So I'm sitting there and with Brendan and just watching this unfold. And it was just like, oh my God, it was absolutely something to watch, whether you were there in person or caught it on tour gigs, or I think there might be a video. And if there is, I'll make sure I, uh, post that or put it in the show notes for you as well. It's just absolutely unbelievable. And watching Jake watch Billy and play with him and go toe to toe with him was just so awesome. So awesome. And I, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. I love Billy strings anyways. So to have him up there with Jake and everybody was just, just so awesome. And actually my new laptop desktop photo is of Billy and Jake from that evening taken by Dave Levine and Jake, just the way he's looking at Billy's hands while he's playing is just something else. The energy between the two of them is just so cool too. And it's gotta be because they're both Michigan boys. It's just so awesome. There's been a ton of photos popping up at various times of the weekend of Billy and the guys in Umphreys and they're all just amazing. There is one with Billy waiting backstage and I'm sure you probably know what picture I'm talking about where like half of it you can see like Umphreys and what's going on on stage and then the other half you can see Billy waiting backstage patiently to you know do his sit-in and that photo is just phenomenal it's just it's phenomenal and it's I couldn't stop looking at it it's so cool and if you haven't seen it I'll definitely uh 
throw that in the show notes too so you can and I'll throw a bunch of links to photos in the show notes and any videos and and anything like that and like I said if you haven't listened to those two sit-ins you really really should 1348 would come out next with a little roundabout by yes tease to start giving I know at least me a little bit of like a, oh my god are they gonna do it especially after that fills I'm like oh my god are they just gonna give me a heart attack right now and play roundabout thankfully that didn't happen me having a heart attack I mean unfortunately they didn't play roundabout but no they ripped it right open and stomped into 1348 having a very talking heads burning down the house vibe to it about four minutes not sticking in there long taking on its own story and dancing off coming back down for only a bit, taking not very long to build itself all back together and expanding out and slamming back into Earth and 1348, closing out the second set of night one in Asheville. Encore for the evening, it doesn't matter, really sinking into comfort slightly after six minutes, building its momentum and getting itself to very nicely slam back into the conclusion of All in Time to close out the first evening in Asheville. Are you looking for the perfect gift for that rocker chick in your life? Perhaps you're looking for a killer new vintage rock kimono for yourself or a new sweet piece of canvas art for your apartment? Life Clothing Co. has you covered. Featuring the cutest vintage band t-shirts, sweaters with feel-good sayings, rompers, a fantastic selection of beautiful bell-bottoms, and some swoon-worthy home decor, you are sure to find something for that special lady in your life or that perfect outfit to wear to the next show. Check out the link in the show notes to take a peek at their amazing Grateful Dead and Led Zeppelin gear. Seriously, you or that lady in your life are going to love their stuff. Life Clothing Co. is your place for authentic boho vintage fashion. And exclusively for my listeners, if you use promo code Sarah Jehemiak, Rep 10 at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your total order. That's promo code Sarah Jehemiak, Rep 10, S-A-R-A-J-A-C-H-I-M-I-A-K-R-E-P, and the number 10 at checkout, and you'll receive 10% off. So that brings us to night two in Asheville and the final night of this little southeast run. February 15th would include a VIP show earlier in the afternoon. Kabump getting that started, going off in a fun little adventure starting slightly after seven minutes. Stepping confidently into similar skin next that gets eerie about three minutes climbing out about a minute later and really stretching the hell out of its legs, but not for super long, instead coming back into similar skin. A very nice red tape next. This one, I was a little disappointed the VIP set got. I just love this tune and would have loved to hear it later that evening, but meh, you know. <laughs> this, you know, when they when we don't go to the VIP sets, which is very rare, um, but we did not do VIP for Asheville. Um, they do something like that, but that's all right. <laughs> Getting into it slightly before five minutes and slipping into something a little more of a weird beachy sort of vibe in there for a minute. Surfing its way back into red tape, beginning to build about nine minutes, 
riding it its way fully back in about two minutes later, closing out the VIP set with a cover by Guns N' Roses, Patience, a bust-out for sure, last played October 28, 2011 at the Tabby in Atlanta, Georgia. This one covered a total of 37 times, and honestly, I was surprised by that number when I looked it up on All Things Umphreys. I heard at one point during this, Stasic was vacuuming, and Chris was just wiping off his symbols. <laughs> Pretty funny to see the picture of Stasic just standing there chilling with the vacuum. The end vocals of this song were belted out by Joel. I'll admit, I'm not the biggest Guns N' Roses fan. Well, not the biggest fan of radio Guns N' Roses songs, I guess I should say. Be the right way to say that. This one is a great one for them to cover. You should give it a spin, even if it's to hear Joel sing Axel at the end. You won't be disappointed to hear that. The sold-out show that evening would begin with October Rain, but would really dig its heels in and get the night started with Rocktopus. Silent Type coming out next, dancing out for a little stroll around the neighborhood slightly after three minutes, cooling its jets about a minute and a half later, but not for long before picking itself back up and continuing on, bringing it back into the Silent Type shortly after. Made to Measure next, wandering off slightly after three minutes and enjoying its little adventure, coming down and starting to get an uneasy and spooky feel to it, crawling right in, revealing itself as Eat. I was super excited for Eat to come out. Always love that one when it shows itself. Last seen during the summer at the Stone Pony on um, August 30th, 2019, I was a little sad, though, that we did not get some Cookie Monster action from Jake, but still a really great version. Deeper, next, really embracing a more upbeat dancing vibe, about four and a half, stretching and allowing itself plenty of room to really expand, reaching way out and grabbing Miss Tinkles to pull itself into, heading off about three minutes, having a very heavy feeling on its back as it continues on, skipping right back into Tinkles about five minutes later. Empire Strikes Brass would join us for the last two songs of the first set. First up, a mashup, National Loser Anthem, the combination of the Beck song Loser, Radiohead's National Anthem, and In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. This one, found on the Zonky album, has been played live only four times, including this one here. Last played March 23rd, 2018 at the Fox Theater in Oakland, California. Empire Strikes Brass staying out for one more, as I just mentioned. Bad Friday to close out the first set. And I'm going to be really honest here. That sit-in by them just didn't really do a whole lot for me personally. And I, I love horns. Um... I don't know. I didn't really place what it is about it. Makes me feel that way. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't terrible, but I've heard other versions of Bad Fridays, Bad Friday with horns, and I don't know. There's just something about this that it felt like it was missing something. I don't know. My husband and I, obviously, after the runs, talk about the show, the shows a lot. Uh, usually driving home or in the hotel or whatever, and. Um, 
that was something that we both brought up from night two was the the sit-ins from Empire Strikes Brass. Um, so I don't know. I would love to hear what uh, what you guys think, uh, people that were were at the show. If if you listen back, of course. Um, yeah, reach out and and let me know what you uh, what you felt about those sit-ins from Empire Strikes Brass. I can't really really place what it is that makes me feel that way, but I'm interested to see what what you folks think. Set two would open with a dark brush moving right along to Dump City, getting to the gritty of it about four minutes, loosening its grip about two minutes later, and starting to build momentum about a minute later, climbing and building itself up more and more, and stumbling back down to earth about nine minutes, and starting to try and find its way back into Dump City. That one was a lot of fun to listen to for sure. Billy Strings would come out again for the final time of the weekend for a cover this time. Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix, which first of all was a bust out. The last time played February 21st, 2014 at the Riviera Theater in Chicago, 574 shows ago. It was also only been played four times total, including this one here. And it's also been the only time that Umphreys has played this song with a guest guitarist as well. So lots of awesomeness surrounded around that anyways. And then, I mean, you know, Billy coming out and playing and watching him and Jake play back and forth and then just getting into this guitar battle and then Bayless getting into it about like seven minutes, I think, is when it all really starts to come together. And it's just... It was, again, just so awesome to watch. And there's no doubt that they had so much fun playing with Billy. And Billy had so much fun playing with them. And it was just absolutely awesome. And at the end, like, all you can do is just shake your head and just be like, damn, dude. Just wow. (laughs) Seriously, if you have not seen Billy Strings live yet, you really need to make it a point to see him. Really. A very, very nice bridge list would come next, going out to Dave Britt for his 302nd show. That's just an impressive show count. Dropping into it about five and a half, building itself up about three minutes later, and getting its excitement up, opening up slightly, cooling itself, and weaving through, I envision, like this thick fog, and finding some light with the beginning notes of Night Nurse, Embracing its own story slightly after four minutes, continuing to dance on, and I did tuck this one onto my 2020 list. It was just a lot of fun. I mean, Night Nurse is anyways, and I wanted to make sure I remember to come back to this one later on in the year. Smoothly side dancing right into Night Nurse slightly after 10 minutes. Attachments would come next, a standard version we would see here. Snuck up part one and two after that with the conclusion of Bridgeless showing its face to bring closure to the second set of night two in Asheville. Encore, half delayed, which I felt was interestingly placed here in the encore. The paper set list they posted from the evening did not have any write-ins or cross-outs, so they knew exactly where they wanted to go that night aggressively and almost tipsy feeling at some points at the end 
Jake just going off before trudging it forcefully right into Snuka Part 3 to bring the two nights in Asheville to a close. And as I mentioned last week, I would share my feelings on what I felt were the quote-unquote best show of the run. I, I mentioned before how I don't really like to say that because each one of them... Uh, you know, has their highlights, has their high points. Um, sometimes it's really, really hard to decide uh, which one was the standout from the weekend. Um, but for me, it would go night one, Asheville, Caverns, night two, Asheville, and then Memphis. Um, I would love to know what you guys think. Please reach out to the show and tell me what you felt the standout show from this run was. And finally, this weekend in Asheville on Sunday, February 16th, Joel played a solo show for a Conscious Alliance benefit at Isis Music Hall. Like I mentioned, I was not at this show, but Rob Turner from the Inside Out podcast with Turner and Seth was, and we're going to get him on the line here so we can talk about this Joel solo performance as well as the two nights in Asheville. I am here with... Rob Turner from the Inside Out with Turner and Seth podcast. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk about everything that happened in Asheville over Valentine's Day weekend. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I want to say one thing before we before we dive into these two great shows. Um, Justin Powell, who you who you probably know from Mother Vinegar, from Ali Baba Sahini, he's on their new record. Uh, I ran into him, and the, the first time I ran into him was kind of crazy. He didn't really get to talk. The second time I ran into him, he was all excited to tell me, because he knows I know you, about the interview that he had had with you and about how much he loved your interview with Crojo from uh, Ali Baba Sahini. Aw, that's, that's so kind. So, folks, you should definitely listen to that and check that out. Dropped among what now you changed the name of your podcast right before you released the Crojo interview, right? Yes, I changed uh, the name at the beginning of 2020. Uh, I felt it was just time to kind of make it more inclusive of everybody in this amazing community and just kind of have a name that really just reflected that. And <clears throat> that really for me described how I felt when I really dove into this band and was welcomed into the community and just really explained everything personally. So I was like, yeah, that's perfect. I heard there was one time uh, when I just heard Bela say it, like I just happened to listen to a version of Haji. I don't even know which one it was and just heard it. And I was like, yeah, that's it. So yeah, dropped among this crowd. It seems pretty fitting, and everybody seems to really like it. So, yes, I love the new name. Absolutely. Thank you. So, as far as, far as myself, I don't get to travel for Umphreys much anymore. Just my life has become very busy, and um, I, you know, I'm someone who used to chase music like a lost puppy. Um, I feel like I've done my traveling, and these days I'm more of a. I like to stay stay home with my dog and be mellow, and I love Atlanta, but. You had Billy Strings, who I I'm not I don't love just Billy, but his whole quartet is just outstanding. Yes, they are. And, <laughs> yes. and uh, Ben Factor was was kind enough. 
then who's the new lighting designer? I'm sure people listening know this. He was kind enough to let let me be his first interview since joining uh, Humphreys McGee, and that was uh, very cool. It turns out he's been a listener of our show for pretty much since the beginning when we started a little over four years ago, and he uh, was a loyal listener around the time he was being seduced by Jefferson's lighting design work, which actually inspired Ben to move from sound to light. Very oh. interesting. Very interesting. Yes. If And if anybody listening has not listened to that Ben Factor interview yet, make sure you do. I'll throw the link in some in the show notes and stuff. And yeah, that's I'm excited to check that out and listen more about his story and and his whole thing. He just seems yeah, like the nicest guy, too. Just seems like the sweetest guy. He is confident, but not cocky. He is uh, humble, but not, you know, he, he's very sure of himself. He's mm-hmm. very well-spoken and uh, totally respectful of the whole Humphreys thing, but not in a pie-eyed way, you know what I mean? He's, yeah. he's very, he finds it all funny. He's not intimidated by anything. I, I asked him, you know, what about the first time you'd go behind the board to work the Georgia Theater, you know? Are you nervous at all? He's like, nah, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> just sort of an ironic sort of a thing. Like, right. Isn't it funny how life turns out sometimes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that that interview, it's not out yet. By the time this episode will be out, it will be. We, I also sat down with Kevin Castles, who's a drummer and an Humphreys mm-hmm. McGee expert. Fish fans might know him from the Farmer's Almanac. Mm-hmm. Um, he and, and uh, Ryan Stasek sat down with me, and we did a deep dive in early on. And I that should be out in May before. I mean, what better time than before summer camp? Unless uh, Kevin Browning tells me to hold it for something else. And also, we've done a bunch of Humphrey stuff, but the thing that gets the most feedback is episode 68 when Jake Sinegar was just sitting there with his guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the great compliments that actually I was I was having dinner with our sponsor, Robert Pillay, last night, and he was he's not a big Humphreys fan, and he said that episode helped me to appreciate more just what a great player Jake is, and that's one mm-hmm. of the biggest compliments I could get because I like nothing more than to flaunt Humphreys beyond the Humphreys world. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I feel I feel the same way. Every time I can I can share um, Umphreys with people that just have absolutely no idea, it, it's my favorite thing. I actually, uh, my local, my favorite local classic rock radio station has this program, and it's called like a like an incentive thing, you know, like a contesty thing, and uh, so it's called the Employee of the Day. And so if you yeah. get picked, you get to do like a classic rock playlist and they play your music and they put you on the radio and it's like this whole thing. So I signed up to do it like mostly out of like a joke, like, haha, they'll never call me. Well, they did. And it was cool because I got to be on the local radio talking about my show and Umphreys and the host. Nice. Uh, yeah. Like it was the coolest opportunity. Well, the host of like the daytime, like midday lunch hour time i'm talking to him like after i had gone down there and picked up like my free t-shirt and shit and he's like so umphreys mcgee and i'm like yeah and he just started like watching all these youtube videos and and he's in his 60s and so he's watching all these videos and messaging me and telling me oh my god this is so amazing i never knew about these guys and i love that so much. I love that. I'm a fan of WNCW, which is a, a it, uh, it signal reaches Asheville. It's out of Spindale, North Carolina. It's, I think, one of the best independent radio stations in the country. Mm-hmm. And um, since the weekend of these two shows, the, um, 
they have a thing on Wednesday night called Dead Air. They run the Grateful Dead Hour, and then they run a lot of jam band stuff, a lot of fish, a lot of Weissman, and all that. Mm-hmm. I've noticed, because I tune in on that, you know, I'll, I'll like do work with it in the background, or sometimes I'll just crank it up. They've been playing Humphreys every week since then, so I, I like that. Nice. Nashville, you know, two nights, Friday was almost sold out, and Saturday was completely sold out, right? Yeah, yeah, Saturday night was sold out. It was very packed in there Saturday night. And Asheville was just a, a beautiful city. It's the first time. Uh, that I've ever been to Asheville. I actually, Is that right? Yeah. Well, actually, I born and raised in North Carolina, um, but I lived on the coast. I lived on Camp Lejeune. My dad was in the military, so I've actually never been to Asheville. So I'm super excited and happy that we were able to finally check it out, and that city is just so awesome, and we're already talking about going back. So Big thank you to your father for his service. <laughs> thank you. He... he uh, he has since passed, but he was a 30-year Marine, and he is the reason why I am into the music I am now, 100%. God rest his soul. <laughs> Sounds like a good man. He, he really he really was. He would, he he would cer- think that Umphreys was pretty cool, so, yeah. <laughs> he certainly raised you well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, so let's dive into this. I got to tell you, I know you were there with your husband and your and your children, but for me, as a divorcee who's like had a hit and miss in the dating world since being divorced, it's a great fuck you to the dating world to go see Humphreys McGee on Valentine's Day. Thank you. <laughs> I love. I've come to the conclusion that I absolutely love celebrating holidays with Humphreys McGee. Like it seriously does not matter what holiday is. Like it's just it's awesome. It really is. Yes, and I've done three New Year's shows with them and loved them all, but I got to tell you, the one time I saw them on Halloween, I think beat them all. When they played Atlanta on Halloween, that that show was just outstanding, and I had such a great time that night. Yeah, I was dressed as uh, I was dressed as Steven Tyler Sagan. Uh, Tyler Sagan was a hockey player. He was very young then, so I was like part Aerosmith glam and part Boston Bruins hockey. It was very fun. <laughs> very nice. But I, on the 14th, I noticed right away, as Humphreys often does, they're playing to the room. You know, they come out Goonville into, into Crucial Taunt and then Mad Love. Just real, you know, big sound. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of exploration right away, but just hitting the arena with a big, this is our muscle. This is Humphreys McGee, you know. Mm-hmm. I think as time goes by, and they, play, they played arenas a bunch, but it's still sort of a new thing to them. I think as time goes by, we'll start getting more stretching and more of a nuanced Humphreys, but I do think, based on these two shows, they really want to deliver the bombast in the arenas at this point in their career. Would you agree? Uh, uh, oh, absolutely. And, you know, that was something I was I was going to say. It was kind of weird when we first walked in that first night on the 14th, and it wasn't even full, because we came in toward the beginning of Billy Strings, probably like the second song in of Billy Strings, and so it wasn't even all the way filled in, but I think just being in a room that that open and big was kind of odd at first to see them um, like that. And then also we had gone to the caverns the night before. So there was such a contrast from, you know, being in this cave with like a thousand people and then like the next night being in this arena and, you know, so different. But I think they do want that, but at the same time they still enjoy the intimacy of what the caverns was or like what belly up is. 
Right. Feels like the old days kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's always kind of fun to, you know, go back in time and kind of re- revisit that nostalgic feeling or whatever. But another great thing about the arena is that Ben could let it, Ben Factor, the new lighting designer again, he could let his hair down. He really, we got the benefit of his uniqueness. He, he explains uh, in the interview that the, about the spacing and the odd numbers and all this stuff and the asymmetry of what he's doing. When we were in the arena, you really got the full sense of that. And I also want to say Booth Love, which was next, we talk about specifically in our interview because one of the things I really liked about that was he had a light design going as the improv was moving along and that was going with it and then there were you know those led lights that are lower and just behind the band Mm -hmm. as brendan started you know as bayless started because jake was kind of leading jake and ryan were leading the improv but as brendan started easing in with this riff the blue lights were really representing what he did Mm -hmm. and then as that became what the music was blue just kind of took over the stage and i thought that was just really really good Good lighting, because I've said before, my biggest concern about replacing Waffle was not lighting design in general, uh, was not like hitting, you know, you knew you could find someone who would know, who would be able to learn the structures of the songs and hit stuff. Mm-hmm. My concern was the, Im- was the improv, and uh, right. I think Ben gets it. I think so, too. I think he does. He's been amazing to watch. Uh, I've seen four show, yeah, four shows since he's been lighting guy and I think he's he's doing phenomenal it's he his work is beautiful it really is and he's just he's just fit in so well too it's it's awesome I knew I knew they would pick the right guy like there was just no doubt that they would that they would have find the right person I mean they did it when it was time to find Chris and you know even back when it was time to find Jake like They've, they've been able to, to find the, the right people. So I, there was no doubt. And uh, what a week you had because you got to see Ben Light, you know, rooms of such stark contrast. Quite mm-hmm. frankly, the Graceland, I heard, was kind of a shit convention center room with awful security, too, by the way. Yeah, I did, I did but, not go to Memphis. And the reason oh, why yeah. the reason why we didn't go is because when they announced that run, like, we knew we were like we decided it was my husband's birthday that Sunday, so when they do like a run like that, we try to to go because it's Valentine's Day and his birthday, and we decided right away that we were not going to go to Memphis, and we felt it, and it was because of that of the room. We just didn't feel like very inspired to go there, so that's why we didn't. Um, and then after hearing what happened to Kyle and I listened back to the show and honestly, I just kind of felt a little eh about it. Um, and I did share that in the episode about it. Um, so not, not surprised to hear what you're saying about it. Um, but watching him light up the cave was probably like in my top like moments of that whole weekend. It was, it was very awesome. And when you, if you listen to the show and they open with the triple wide and when they drop into it and the, and it lights up, you can hear the whole crowd like, whoa. And even my son, cause we took Brendan to the caverns with us too. And he was, he was awake at the caverns. Um, and I'm holding him up and we're, you know, watching and everything's building and everything and the look on his face 
when that whole cave lit up and they just dropped into the triple wide. I'll never forget it. And it was so cool. And that, that moment was exactly why I take him to go do stuff like this. It's funny because I talked to people who went to Memphis and I talked to people who went to the caverns and it's unanimous each time. Nobody has any interest in the band playing Memphis again. And everybody that I spoke with was like, God, I hope they play caverns again. Yeah. I Okay. So that makes me feel a little better about my feeling about Memphis Ben that, you know, others are, are saying the same thing. The, the caverns, um, personally for me, I mean, living as far away as I do, I don't think that the caverns will be a place that I, I personally go to see Umphreys again. I mean, I've done it. So that's kind of like, okay, I did it and I'm cool. But I think that if they go there again and you weren't at this one, you should go. Cause it's a really cool experience to be in the cave and to see your favorite band. Like there's just one moment where I'm like, I'm in a fucking cave right now seeing Umphreys and D. Like, this is so crazy. And then in like a month, I'm going to be in Iceland seeing them. Like, this is so insane. So, it, yeah, it was really cool experience. We actually took some rocks. Um, my son and I found some rocks. Like, on the side, we found this really cool spot to actually, like, sit. Because there's no seating in there. Well, for this show, there was no seating. But they do seating for some events. And so we found this spot on the side where we could sit on this flat rock and there were, you know, like a little pile of all these little ones. So we took a handful. So we have cavern rocks at home, which is a very cool souvenir. Nice. Yeah. Before we get back to the show, is your son named after Brendan Bayless? Yes, he is. And he's actually met Bayless. He was six months old and it was his first road trip. We drove from Buffalo to Chicago and we went to the Ravinia show. In 2015, he was six months old, and we met Bayless, and so I have a picture taken by Chad Smith uh, of Brendan and me and Brendan. So Nice. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I actually wanted to name my son Robbie Williams Turner, and it was <laughs> kind of part of what led to the divorce, quite frankly. <laughs> but getting back to the show, um, we moved back, we moved through the first that uh, Andy's last beer, which is always fun. This one was slightly extended. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you if you're really a fan of, of Andy's last beer, you might want to check out the the one uh, out west, and they just do one with Frasco. Who, by the way, Frasco's interview with Brendan Bayless is fantastic. Uh, oh, it's phenomenal! I've been telling everybody about it. It was so, it was such a good interview, just in what he was sharing and what he was getting him to talk about, but also what I personally took away from it, um, you know, both being parents and having a certain life, um, it was really kind of comforting to hear a lot of what he had to say and share. So if, if you I, haven't listened to that, definitely listen to that because it's, it's really good. I got to say, I, I first met the guy, thanks to Kevin Castles, over 15 years ago. And we'd seen each other. And there, there were times where we'd hung and we'd had hearts to hearts. And I, and I researched him for interviews and stuff like that. And still, there was a ton of stuff in that interview that I did not know. Mm-hmm. So that was excellent work by Andy Frasco. I don't always enjoy his interviews in his podcast. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can be a bit much. But when he hits, 
he hits hard. And every young person I know is into podcasts and music and this kind of music loves his podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I feel the same way about Frasco's interviews. Um, but I admire how he is having the tough conversations, um, especially right. um, among men uh, in the mental health subject. It's, you know, not cool to share your feelings or all of that other stuff. So I think it's awesome that he's having that conversation anyways, because we all need to talk about it. But also, you know, among guys and being okay to be vulnerable and and maybe saying, hey, I'm not having a, a real good time with things right now or whatever. And, you know, I think that's, it's important on so many fronts. Yeah, I think my, the thing I most admire in him is how he elicits stuff from these musicians about their childhood in a very natural way that um, makes uh, it makes it not threatening. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. something about the way he eases into it and asks the questions that is just very chill and conversational and kind of couch hanging in a couch in a living room, you know, as yeah. opposed to a lot of these interviews. Let's face it, even done by great some of these great writers, they get behind a mic and it can it can come off as just, you know, like depositions, you know? Yeah, it's hard. It is, it is hard to, to not sink into that mode. Even if you start out in, in a certain way, it's still, you're just kind of firing questions at somebody sometimes. So it's, yeah, it's bravo to him for that, that conversation. It was really good. Okay. So back to the first set and the 14th, they do hurt bird bat. If I can do a quick fish comparison, this song to me is like split open and melt with fish because here in Nashville, we did, he, they did a great version of it, all kinds of interplay, some pretty cool improv, but there's just been such mammoth monumental versions of the song that it mm-hmm. kind of pales in comparison unless they really crush it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then in the kitchen, which has some beautiful improv in it, they, they kind of, they could have gone a little further out there, mm-hmm. but, um, I don't know, maybe maybe Bayless had his eye on the clock or whatever. They they pulled it back, but it still was a great version. Um, the second set, I was at the board next to Mitchell, and we were we were chatting when Mitten started, mm-hmm. and uh, Ben did something. I missed it. I kind of talked about this in the interview, but everybody on the side of the board all looked back at him at the same time, and I was like, whoa, what was that? And <laughs> And this mitten though was phenomenal. Oh, I mean, this is. I. They were so tight. This whole second set, though, honestly, is my favorite set from the whole weekend. Um, I felt night night one. Um, I don't want to use the word better. I hate using the word better because. Right. It, it's not the right word. But if we're gonna pick, I would say night one and then night two. But second set of night one was phenomenal, and to start with that mitten is just. I went on about it already in the beginning of this episode. It's phenomenal. I've come back to it several, several times. It's so good. And then uh, I had a feeling All in Time was coming. I don't know. I didn't, not at that point, but, you know, just playing an arena, the song makes sense. Yeah. And there was some pretty cool, pretty cool improv out of it. That, again, got kind of cut short. But the wait around, oh, it's yeah. a power ballad. I, I, it really hadn't clicked with me before, but it is an arena power ballad. And Jake absolutely freaking owned the solo and i felt like i was a kid being like clapton in, in 1983 again you know what i mean it was yeah. really like arena rock you know but not yeah. in a cheesy way in a very soulful way 
Well, and that's what I said to my husband when we went back to the room after the show and, you know, of course, we're just talking about it and I'm just spilling everything out. He's such a saint. He just sits there and lets me just, just spit it all out from everything I'm feeling from the show. And that's, like I said, the mitten was just hot to start, but even that weight around, like, I just love full band weight around anytime they play it anyways. I just love the sound and the roundness that the full band gives that song. Like, I think it deserves because it's a powerful song. There's a lot of meaning behind it. Um, but that was definitely very awesome to hear them play that in the arena. And I, it just the whole weekend was cool to hear them in, in the arena and experience that, even though, like I said, it was a little weird, uh, you know, seeing them in this massive place. But the sound was, was nice in there. Yes, the benefit of the Mitchell. Yes. They don't they don't play wait around much, do they? Um they don't play it like super often. But I I want to say they probably played it like one other time this year. I am going to look this up now cuz it's going to bother me if I don't look and check. <laughs> well, as you're doing that, I'll point out that um I had that interview with uh, Kevin and Ryan um the first day, you know, the afternoon of the 14th, and um, Chris Mitchell was engineering it, but they were still sound checking. The sound check ran long because Billy Strings, they were teaching Great American and Phyllis Farm to Billy Strings. So we're up there on the side in the balcony waiting for them. And I, and I don't know, Kevin ran off doing whatever Kevin Castle does. I sat there and watched Jake teach Great American and, and Phyllis Farm to Billy Strings, and that kid is so freaking sharp. It's just amazing. He's not just a great player. He listens well. Also, get the chance to get to see him play electric is extremely rare. That was mm -hmm. real special. Mm -hmm. so, so I wasn't surprised when there were a couple rough moments, I'll be honest. But, then, you know, they had never played electric together before. I guess Billy had sat in once, but just on acoustic, and he really yep. wasn't. F4848, yeah. 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 I was there for real. that, too. That was awesome. <laughs> you were? Yeah. Wow. Right on. Yeah, I've seen Billy... So that was the first time I'd ever seen Billy Strings live. We went to 4848. We went, we drove in and got there like 20 minutes before Humphreys was supposed to start. We like were pitching our tent real quick and stuff. We saw that. And then obviously Asheville. I saw Billy here in the summer here in Buffalo. And then he'll actually be here in April. And we have tickets for that too. Yeah, I, when he actually was on our show. And at the time, um, I had a trip to Boston planned. I, I'm, you know, I don't get to go up there. And actually, part of it was to see Bobby and the Wolf Brothers. And anybody who listens to our show knows that, you know, Bobby's a big, probably my favorite musician, living musician. He doesn't even crack the top 100 if you include dead musicians. But of living musicians, Bob Weir may be my favorite and most interesting, most intriguing. And I, I ended up blowing off seeing him at the Wilbur Theater, which is also a place that I've wanted. I, they've, I haven't been to since they've refurbished. But it was because I knew that Billy, even back then, this is this is a couple of years ago now, I knew this kid was about to blow up. It's our episode 67. It's a really good interview. When he tells the story about um, bringing his father backstage, you know, his father who had turned him on to, to uh, David Grisman very thoroughly, and then Billy gets to bring him backstage and not only introduce him, but the next thing you know that he and his father and Dave Grisman and uh, Del McCoy are playing 
together. You know, he, he actually got emotional when he was telling telling us this. It was a very, very cool moment. He's a very sincere and awesome young man. I can't say enough about him. Mm-hmm. He really, really, so, really is. And I thought Great American, he was he was kind of laying low. And even though there was some some big swells, um, at one point there was an awkward that came out of one jam a little awkwardly. And, and, uh, and I was like, uh-oh, is he going to be tentative now in the next song? But no, Phil's Farm, they went balls to the wall. One of my favorite versions of Phil's Farm mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was it was so sick, Sarah, that 1348, which I like, I, I like couldn't, I'd like to walk away. I couldn't even get into 1348. I kind of poked my head back in to hear Jake give factor props and then kind of bailed out. And then the It Doesn't Matter encore was cool. And then the nice, they took their time with the jam and you knew what was coming. They would ease it and, yeah. and uh, come full circle and, and end us with all, all time, which is a great arena rock show closer, if you ask me. Yeah, although I know you're not the biggest fan of that song. <laughs> No, and I, I got to say, Snooka, the next night, another one I'm not a big fan of, but those two um, played their role in the arena setting quite well. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, yeah. I feel that way about Attachments. Um, attachments is not my favorite, but I knew we were going to get it that weekend because we were in the arena. And then we did night two. And I knew that we weren't going to get uh, a jammed out version. I knew that it was going to be pretty standard because you know, everybody wanted to hear Jake play in that room. So I knew we were going to get an attachment. And like I said, we did that second night. So you're just kind of, but in that moment, I'm like this again, it sounds really good. So I can't even hate on the fact that I'm getting an attachment right now. (laughs) Well, I love, I've loved attachments from the start, even when it wasn't really, even though it took them a while, I knew that one was going to sneak up on me. And I, to be honest with you, I was always, tickling Waffles here with how much I like the song and how much they should open it up and open it up. And finally he told them, you know, hey, open up uh, Attachment sometime. And they did it at St. Augustine and it mm-hmm. ended up appearing on a record or something. Yep, it was on their Hall of Fame as like the best That's Attachments it. ever. Yeah. That Attachment is sick. But anyway, it is. Yeah. this show starts with the October Rain, which is kind of a stark contrast to the way that the previous show started. You know, more of a an ease you in kind of uh, table setter, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were definitely ready to go with this second night. They were like, rock and roll, let's do this. But Rock the Puss, I got to say, I, I'm I'm still trying to find my space in that one. I don't really – I've seen it a few times. I'm trying. I know it comes it comes out of Jimmy – the stews, which I love that they, they do that. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't it hasn't grabbed me yet. I don't – I can't get the uh, Rock the Puss bug. I'm trying. It'll, it'll get you. You'll be, you'll be good. It'll happen. <laughs> I feel like that though about like a, like the silent type after I my five year old Brendan loves that song so I was kind of like bummed that he slept through that whole show because he would have been super stoked about hearing that that's that's one that I don't totally love but I love the jam that can come out of it so yeah. and there's certainly some cool Jake riffs oh yeah absolutely absolutely. When I was thinking about the silent type, which is a song I um, I liked right from the start, but the first I don't know 15, 20 times they played it, they're doing pretty straight versions of it. They slowly started stretching on it to the extent where I think it was during the Fillmore. I got a text from Harris Sullivan, who's an associate on our podcast, a friend of mine, and I'm a huge Humphreys fan, and he was like, "Rob, you've got to listen to this silent type immediately." And uh, he was right. There's a sick one. I'm pretty sure it's during the Fillmore. I'm not sure, but it was at the end of last year. Um, 
so this one that Astros still stretched out a little bit, but um, pales in comparison to that other one. But I was psyched to hear it. Um, made to measure, they really don't. I had forgotten about that song when they started kicking into. I'm like, oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. That my husband was pretty excited about that one. That was like what he wanted to hear, and his birthday was the next day. So I admittedly had forgotten to ask. Although I do hate asking, I don't really like to request things uh so i kind of telepathically put it out and they played made to measure so i was pretty stoked about that <laughs> yeah one of the last times i requested a song at my divorce party fifth slash 50th birthday party uh, <laughs> bayless misread the set list and did the call out too early so then they started the song and half the band started one song and half the band started the other so i i became responsible for a train wreck well it's kind of fitting for your your marriage right Our dating history was wonderful. Our marriage was a bit of a train wreck, yes. Well, that happens. That happens sometimes. Being married is hard, and I own that. My husband and I really, really like each other, and it's still hard. It's a lot of work to be married and to be, like, you know, conscious of each other's feelings and your feelings, and then we've got kids and all of it. I mean, it's hard, but, you know, we make it work, so... (laughs) So then to take the quirky kind of quasi Steely Dan made to measure into the muscular axe kick and eat, I thought was a cool move. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I love eat anytime it comes out anyway. So I was pretty, pretty stoked about that. Um, I, um, I think maybe some of the best improv of the weekend happens here. Now you have deeper, which stretches nicely. And then you have tinkles, which had some really cool improv. Although again, it seemed like they pulled back on it, I guess, to leave time for the, for the you know, the two guest songs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The one, one of which was a, um, one of the mashups. And I guess they, I, I had forgotten, they, they have, they do have guests on the mashups from time to time. Even since then, they had Ike Willis and um, the guitarist. Marcus Rezac. Marcus Rezac. Yep. Yep. They just did that. That was Seattle. Yeah, that was Seattle that they did that. And then the first set ends with Bad Friday, and the band generously gave the horn players solos. That was pretty cool, although we lost our big slamming end of Bad Friday, you know, the guitar slaughter that we usually get. But you know what? We'll see Bad Friday again soon, won't we? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt we'll see that one again. All right, Sarah, opening Dark Rush. Opening the second set with Dark Rush had a lot of meaning to me. First of all, I'd never seen that. And secondly, the last time they played Asheville, it was the last song of the record that they hadn't busted out yet. Interesting. I thought it was, I was got myself, I I went to that with Harris Sullivan, by the way. Um, I went to one of them, but I thought, oh, here we go. We're in Nashville in the arena. Perfect time to to drop a dark brush. But they were playing a festival in Florida right after that where the dark brush beer was being featured. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And so they broke it out there instead. That was nice. It's not, not my favorite song. It's a, it's a song that's, still going to grow on me but again being in the arena it was it was perfect and it's kind of a funny side part sadly there was a cable issue and ben was having some issues with his light mm-hmm. lights but i i thought how appropriate for dark brush to have dark lighting though i mean it is a dark it's one of their darkest songs and it literally got dark in the title right mm-hmm. yeah he handled that well though um i was watching from where we were sitting we were kind of higher up and uh, I could 
see kind of what was going on. And uh, I think he handled it well. You know, he didn't panic. He just took care of business and kept going. So that's cool cool as a cucumber. Absolutely. And you have to be. You got to be able to perform well under pressure. Uh, Dump City, always welcome. Great jamming. Uh, Star Killer won the last time I saw him in Asheville. I hope they're not, they play Dump City in Asheville a lot. I hope they're not making a statement with that. This city really supports the band. <laughs> they also play Goonville. I hope they're not talking about Asheville. Come on, people. So then I was excited that uh, we got another Billy Strings sit in, which, by the way, Brendan uh, referenced the, 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 when he introduced Billy the first night. People didn't, I was kind of struck by the lack of reaction because, you know, a lot of people were there because of Billy. <laughs> he definitely sold at least a thousand tickets. And people didn't really react when they announced him. So then when he when uh, Brendan introduced him the second night, he said, could I have a, what did he say? Could I have a mild amount of applause for Billy Strings, please? Almost mocking the audience, previous night audience response. I, I also want to point out that um, Brendan gave a shout out to Jeff Austin, mm-hmm. God rest his soul, mm-hmm. because Jeff Austin is who, who first introduced Brendan and uh, Billy Strings. So I thought that was a cool thing for Brendan to do. Yeah, that was very cool. And that just that got me right in my heart when he said that. I was yeah. Was and awesome. I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of Voodoo Child covers because you know of course Hendrix owned it, but then Stevie Ray and I had the good fortune to see it live a couple times. Stevie Ray reinvented it and just it, it seems to me like Voodoo Child has been done, but you know to let Billy Strings let his hair down on the, on a little electric and to see him and Jake stir the pot it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was very awesome. And there was one, I, it was the night before during the Great American in the Spills. I don't know exactly what time, what song it was. And I was just like, I was standing there watching. That's really all I could do at one point was just watch everything that was going on. And I caught my husband out of the corner of my eye. He was watching me the whole time. <laughs> watch what was going on. He tells me all the time that he loves to watch me watch the band because i just i just love to watch them play and create it blows my mind (laughs) yeah i've only gotten to meet your husband once and it was very brief i hope i get more time with him he seems like a cool guy too much like your father yeah my my husband is awesome and amazing and i'm so grateful for him before we move on from billy strings i want to point out he's got a new record called home you mm-hmm. folks, if you're Billy Strings curious, check check it out. For sure. Um, like I said, he was on our show, episode 67. His sets were great. The first night, he uh, he covered How Mountain Girls Can Love and They Love Each Other, which, by the way, Alibaba Tahini used to do. Did you know that? Oh, I do know that. <laughs> I definitely know that because that's my favorite dead tune. So I know all about that. I was actually listening to the most recent time they played that this morning. So it's ironic that you bring that up. I love that tune. And when Billy Strings played it, uh, my son was still awake during Billy Strings the first night. So we went down. Like, he wants to go down. He always wants to go as close to the stage as possible. So put his headphones on, and we took him down. And he loves Billy Strings, too. And they, they started playing They Love Each Other. And I was so happy. It was that was definitely a highlight from the weekend, too. My favorite Billy cover, though, was the uh, In Hiding, the second night. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, yeah. Or, or Cold on the Shoulder, which Tony Rice, I don't know what he's doing. I haven't seen or heard from him forever, but 
that, that I believe that's one of his. I, I definitely have seen Tony Wright's play it, and that was pretty cool. I also want to point out he ended the second show with Meet Me at the Creek, which is like their signature oh, tune. Sometimes that was phenomenal. Yeah. A song um, inspired by the many jam sessions at a lot of these festivals late night. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you like if you like the set close of the first night, Away from the Mire, that also the studio version of that is also on Billy's home CD mm-hmm. released last year. So mm-hmm. Check that all out. So as we move on, I, I know we're running long. I'm sorry about this. I babble a lot, Sarah. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. You're you good. Get... I enjoy uh, I enjoy talking to you and and having you on the show. I hope you won't edit out all the best parts like RJ did at uh, Cyrus, who I love, but you know he did edit. Uh, Never. Never. Um, list always welcome. It was a request for someone at their 300-second show or something like that. Brennan, of course, as he's wont to do, gave them shit just before he gave them their song. (laughs) Of course, that's what he does best. (laughs) Went beautifully and elegantly into Night Nurse, which Mm -hmm. has has gone from this cute little ditty to, I think, my favorite of the dance party songs. 100%. I love that tune. The one, if you like Night Nurse, listen to the Night Nurse from the VIP set, Summer Camp 2018. Okay. I be, yeah, it's two, I'm pretty sure it's 2018. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to double check this right now for you. But that is 100%. Probably my favorite one. And while you're doing that, we'll point out that went into attachments. Mm-hmm. Seems odd placement, you know, but kind of worked. And yeah, there was some Asheville specific vocal uh, what am I, embellishments from Bayless. Mm-hmm. And and then Kata Snuka, not a big fan, really enjoyed this version, let it breathe. And it, it, it flowed very naturally back into Bridgeless. I didn't realize splitting the Snuka was so common. I, I went on Twitter and was like, uh, how, is it rare for these to be split up? And I got pretty. Uh, pretty pounded for being a um unaware which that's fine i love it i love the umphrey fan base i'm not out there to flaunt how much i know about them i'm out there to learn from the people who really know the band so don't ever feel bad about smashing my umphrey's ignorance online people and there's just there's just no way that anybody could ever know everything there just isn't there's so much information and that's how i feel too like Please tell me more. I want to know. So I always welcome people telling me more. Yes, definitely that Night Nurse, May 24th, 2018, the Summer Camp VIP set. You'll definitely enjoy that one if you like Night Nurse. 52418. You know, and it, it, do you think part of the VIP danger is when they're dropping bust outs and incredible versions on an exclusive elite? group don't they run the risk of alienating the core fan base i've wondered that too there's also been some some talking about people that people are unhappy about the fact that it's counted as a separate show um you know different kind of things like that which i think it should because you're paying for it you know like you're paying for the extra show so it's another show it should count um I don't know. There's definitely been um, some comments about that for sure. Oh, they played this version of whatever, or they busted this out. I mean, I've de- I've been butthurt about that for sure, personally. Um, last year, Valentine's Day, they did the Brooklyn Steel shows, and we went, and we decided at the last minute to go 
so we didn't do VIP to save on costs. And they played roulette during the VIP set, and I've been chasing that song the entire time I've been seeing this band. Seven, almost 75 oh. shows, and I've still never seen that song. And we didn't go to the VIP set, and I saw the set list, and I was like, God damn it. So, I mean, I understand the feeling of the butthurt um, in that respect, but, I mean, it, go or don't go, I guess, is kind of how I feel, you know, like. It's just, I, I look at it kind of like as any other show, you know, like some you can't go to and some you do, kind of, so. I'm making a quick quick note here. Get those assholes to play roulette in Iceland. Okay, got it. <laughs> and anyway, I look at the, I look at this encore and I, I noticed we haven't talked about Joel enough. I, I, I think there were a lot of great Joel moments. It's always probably tough for a keyboardist to get get you know get his leg in some of these jams that he's such an outstanding guitar band but he definitely did um the hurt birdbath some my favorite part of the hurt birdbath was led into by joel the the great american there was some some nice joel but half delayed joel was doing some really cool stuff during half delay absolutely i and you know that song i i've always loved that song anyways it's i think it's a phenomenal tune um but i i I like it live too, even though it's just, you know, a short little kind of like thing that they put in there. But yeah, Joel was fantastic in that for sure. And instead of the hard end, they kind of let it settle down. And it, and next thing you know, they're back in snooker. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. even though, even though I guess people realize better than I, that I, that a split snooker is not all that rare. It's still kind of s- sneaky, snuck up, snooker that snuck up. <laughs> Well, I do want to end by giving Joel props because it was very nice of him to um, play a gig. He p- partners with um, Conscious Alliance. We might do one of these in Atlanta um, where he plays a solo piano show, except uh, Justin Powell sat in, one of the highlights of the set. Yeah. Great, great show. Um, I wish he'd do more of the classical stuff because he really plays that with such effortless elegance. And I think... It, it would do a service to music if he would expose these Umphreys fans to classical more. I agree. And I love the whole set. I didn't, I didn't really like the freaking uh, long December cover, but everything else he did. And, and, you know, he sang a little and his singing is, is better in that context, I think, than, than having to project over band. And particularly when he covered the Muse song, I was like, holy shit, I'm getting lost in Joel singing. This is cool. <laughs> Usually you just get lost in his dreamy eyes. Maybe you do. <laughs> I you can't, you can't you can't help it when he's doing you know the stare down during during the intense jam part. If you're up there, Joel's side, you're getting the intense Joel stare for sure. It's happening. <laughs> I'll take your word for that one. It happens. I'm telling you. We were talking about that the other day, yesterday, because there's like this Instagram thing that we're doing with all the you know the fans in this like community, and each day of the week or each day of the month is like a picture pertaining to Umphreys. So yesterday was Joel Cummins day. And so everybody's posting pictures of Joel and stuff. And somebody said that, that, you know, if you ha, have you ever really been Joel side, if you've never been stared down by Joel during a, an intense jam. <laughs> it, to be serious, the thing I love most about Joel is the way he just dies out into the fan base. He definitely, mm-hmm. uh, he engages the fans. He's unafraid. And he's he's real too. It's not like he's being fake nice or anything. He'll give someone shit if they deserves it, but he'll do it in a friendly way. He does it to me, and I, I, I just I can't say enough about the guy. 
Yeah, that's that's what I shared yesterday for my Joel Cummins Day post was how grateful I am that he he's been on my show twice. Um, he was on another podcast one time and was talking about my show, which was super cool because it was a fish podcast. So like completely, you know, not really any kind of thing to do with it. And he, they were talking about it and he's always been really supportive of me and my show. And, and that's really cool. Really awesome. Cause he totally doesn't have to, and he does. So it's, it's really yeah, and awesome. He, and he goes on other shows and, and takes shots at me, which um, that's publicity <laughs> too. That's publicity too. Go right ahead. It makes people want to listen. People Absolutely. don't want to hear bland, boring shit. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, couple shout outs before before we finish uh, of course jimmy rogers in chicago oh yeah um, Love he's jimmy. a great he's a great follow at u-m-f-a-c-t-s uh nachos for all on twitter he, he also threw me some some good pointers uh to throw out in the uh deep dive in early umps interview of course josh Kolke in denver his iceland travel guide is just outstanding and you folks should check that out and you should support um freaks anonymous because yes. it focuses on us, on the fan base of yeah. this whole Humphreys world. Love and, Josh. And this is, Josh this is, an is like my family. He is he's amazing, and he he does amazing, amazing work for the fans for sure. The fan gets enough light and deserve it, and I'm glad to shine light on them too. But this fan base deserves light too. Mm-hmm. Um, just such a great, great fan base, and it reflects well upon the band. And finally, as I mentioned, Kevin Castles. He's, he's in Mother Vinegar with Carl Engelman. They're working on some new material. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that'll see the light of day. But he's also in a band called Pleasure to Burn, and they're opening for 24-7 Spies. Really? May 31st. Yes. May 31st at the Great Eagle in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm doing the listeners a service by mentioning that because it will sell out. Get your tickets now. Nice. Very nice. Sarah, thank you for having me on. Thank you for this great podcast. I, I swear it gets better and better with every episode. Keep up the work. Thank I you. hope to see you. So I hope you get down here to Atlanta for the for the pair, but maybe not because maybe you're spending your budget all in Iceland. I don't know. Yeah, we got Iceland. We're doing South Bend and Umbel. We're going to Peach. Very excited for Peach Festival. That's going to be an awesome weekend. Oh, are the slip playing the Peach? Uh, I'm not sure. I think so. You have to go see them, or I will. I will get angry with you. The fe- the Slip are one of my most enduring favorite bands. I love them. Brad and Andrew Barr, two of my favorite musicians on the planet. Actually, my dream band is Brad, Andrew Barr, with Bob Weir, Mike Gordon, and uh, John Medeski, with maybe the woman from Lake Street Dive helping out on vocals. That would be sick. All right, I'll definitely we'll make it a point to check them out. I'll tell my husband, and he'll make sure I get my ass there for sure. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I think they're, I got, yes, the slip run, please. Okay. Do the slip. Okay. All right. I'll write this down so I don't forget because, you know, mom brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Ump love, baby. Ump love. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. And it was awesome to see you in Asheville. Thank you so much for all your support. I love you, dude. Love you too. See you soon. Take care. All right, so that's all I have for this week's episode of the show. The set lists for the shows we discussed, as well as where you can listen to them, can be found in the show notes. Anything else I may have referenced can be found there as well, and also how you can reach out to the show. 
Thank you again to Rob Turner for being on and chatting about this amazing weekend in Asheville. It's always great talking with him, and I'm so grateful for all of his support for me and for the show. You can find a link to his show and some interviews that he has done with some of the guys in Umphreys in the show notes as well. Thank you again for joining me this week. Tune in next week for my interview with Alibaba Sahini keyboardist Justin Powell. Really looking forward to bringing that to you guys. And I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love.